Dear friends, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. A word again from our sermon text. Jesus' words, What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered, I will not, but later he changed his mind and went. He came to the second and said the same thing. The second son answered, I will go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. This is the word of God. Dear friends, Chris Voss is a former FBI hostage negotiator who has written about his experiences, even suggesting and training people in the business world to use some of his negotiation tactics. It's pretty fascinating. He has a different take on when you hear the word yes from the person you're trying to convince, the person you're, you're bargaining or negotiating with. He says hearing yes isn't exactly a good thing. Frequently, and people's lives were at stake when Chris Voss did his work with, with FBI negotiators among terrorists, back and forth with terrorists. He said, often enough, yes means I'm done talking. So I'm just going to say yes to get you off my back and to reserve my own plan for myself. It's an ending of the conversation, but it doesn't mean they're going to follow through their commitment on the promise. I think that's fascinating. Because on the other hand, for Voss in his hostage negotiations with the terrorists, the word no was not a bad thing. Sometimes he was trying to get them to the word no. Because he thought when the terrorist says no, now we can start to negotiate. Now I've got a chip at the bargaining table. And he found most often when terrorists said no, he could come back with, well, how can we make things right? How can we make things work? And again, I think that's fascinating because when I say no, sometimes I do get that feeling probably always get that feeling, um, whether I, I'm conscious of it or not in the moment, of security and control, of personal self-autonomy. I can make my own decisions, and if I say no to somebody else, well, a lot of times I'm saying yes to something else as God gives us choices to, to, to use our free will. But, um, but there's something useful to the word no on both sides. So Voss says, for best results, get your counterpart to say no. And he's not alone. Voss cites TV investor, you know, the, the face for TV, Mark Cuban. Maybe you've heard of him. He says, every no gets me closer to a yes. So Mark Cuban says. I don't know if the dad in Jesus' parable today thought so. I don't think he came with FBI negotiating tactics to his son and said, go work in my vineyard because I want you to say no to me or anything like that. But that's what happened. The first son said, no, I will not. 
And, uh, and that was the son who worked for him. The son who said, yes, I will, he never made it off the couch into the vineyard. Meanwhile, the one who said no changed his mind and did what his dad said. People are like that, aren't they? People are like that when you witness and invite them into the faith. When you witness Jesus and invite them into the kingdom, aren't they? The first to say yes. They might sound optimistic, but really what they're saying is, yes, now get off my back and get God off my back. The people who say no may be looking for an honest conversation, someone who will really deal with God with me sincerely. And that's what today is all about. The, the Savior today honestly invites us to think about God on the heart level, to get down and dirty, to get into the gritty and, and really think about our repentance and consider what we have said in the past as well as what the Holy Spirit is enabling us to say in the present and, Lord willing, into the future and finally into heaven with God. This isn't an easy thing for sinners to hear because um, today the Savior invites us to deal honestly with God in our hearts. But then we rejoice and I really want to get us all to be thinking when we hear no for an answer in our personal witness to not throw our hands up and be done with the person. Because optimism, positivity, it, it does something. And I, I really think we're in a culture that holds politeness and being nice and putting a face on things very nearly as an idol. The God of politeness and, and optimism and saying the right things and putting the face on everything. That is very prevalent. So often so that we, we don't always get to those conversations because we're so concerned with being polite and being optimistic. But according to what Jesus says today, there's a whole crowd, there's a whole bottleneck of optimism. And, and you know where it is? It's right outside the door into heaven. Now, don't get me wrong, ultimately, the Christian is an optimist. But it starts with something else. It starts with honesty, not always optimism. It was the last Tuesday of Jesus' life. He was preaching in the porticos of the temple, and he fielded this challenge. Um, and these would have been maybe more Sadducees than Pharisees, the chief priests and the elders of the people, maybe a combination of both, because this was temple. This was temple work. This was God's house, and the Sadducees always tied themselves to that in the first five books of the Bible, downgrading everything else, even angels, even the resurrection to life. And they asked him this question, by whose authority do you do things? And that's a really pretty, a funny question. It's almost like those questions that Jesus gets on the Sabbath when they're like, why are you working on the Sabbath when you heal people? And it's almost like, can't you hear the irony in your voice? Here they're saying, by whose authority do you waltz into Jerusalem and check notes, heal people, teach the truth, and good news? But that's the question. And, and Jesus' next move, some people might say, well, you answer a question with another question is kind of a cop-out. But if you analyze it, you look at what Jesus is really doing. He's talking about, when he refers to John and his baptism and John's ministry, John the baptizer, He's talking about this connection from Old to New Testament 
and the, the voice calling out in the wilderness who proclaimed the coming of Jesus Christ. So Jesus was really answering with an appeal to authority, but he was putting it on them. And they gave up, didn't they? They said, we don't know. We don't know whose authority John came preaching. And, and Jesus said, well, if you're not going to get, basically what Jesus is saying is, if you're not going to get where John's coming from, you're really not going to get where I'm coming from. Because this is your tie back to all the prophets and all the prophecies about the coming Christ. And I'd love to talk a lot more about that. But I really want to hone in on the parable where Jesus really does a comparable. That's what parables are. Comparing something we don't know about the kingdom of God, about Christ's rule in the hearts of believers, something that we need to find out as sinners, to what we do know here on earth, to what we're familiar with. Jesus was very good at teaching. And he used these parables that are they still make me dizzy sometimes because this is, this is rather simple. Um, it's about a dad, a vineyard, and two sons, but it's pretty deep. It's so simple that any parent can get it. I think parents, you've probably heard this. You go to the one son, you go to the one child, and you say, okay, I need you to get up. I need you to clean the room. I need you to straighten this place out, get everything in order. I also need you to do the dishes. And it's like, this, this is the kid that I pull teeth. And then somehow, out of nowhere, this is the kid that actually does the work. This is, he said, go and work for me in the vineyard. And this son says, I will not. But eventually, this son's out there in the, in the vineyard without the dad even realizing it. And then it's the other son who says, yes. Maybe this is the more relatable part. Yes, I will. But hours later, kid's still on the couch watching TV, playing video games, and no work has been done. Most of us can think of a time, though, not just parents and children, but a time when, when we said yes to something very special, but we missed out and it was our own fault. We can also probably cough up a time when we said no, but eventually someone convinced us and we went along anyway and we had a great time. And we even learned something. So this is the human experience. And so Christians often think this has to do with being active at church. And sure enough, people have committed to do, doing something around here and totally dropped the ball, been entirely AWOL. And then others, who you never thought would come out of the woodwork, do, and they contribute in so many ways, and it knocks our socks off. But I want to go to a, a deeper level with this parable than just being active at church, which is important. But I think we have to start in a, in a, in a tidier place. What about the yes you said in your confirmation vows? What about the yes you said when you became a member in the visible church? What about the yes our hearts say when Jesus speaks forgiveness and absolution? He says your sins are gone. You don't have to worry about those anymore. I have a future for you. I love you. And heaven is for you with certainty. What about the yes our souls say when attending communion? Yes, this mere bread and a little, little sip of wine, this is Jesus' true body and blood and a richer gift none could receive. Truth is, if we're honest, each of us started with a sinful, spiritual no. No true, sincere faith in Jesus begins with a yes. We're not wired that way anymore. 
not since sin entered the human race. We come packaged with a sinful, with a spiritual no. And we need rescue from the fake yes. The law gets you to admit your sins, to admit your no when you confess what you've done in the past. And the gospel gets you to enjoy living and laboring and serving in the vineyard of God's grace. Because the victory of Jesus freely gives you the proceeds, a cup of fellowship, a cup of blessing, an overflowing cup that draws us to glory in heaven. Jesus concluded his parable like this, and I, I think this is the key, it's, it's the point of comparison for each of us. He says, which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Amen. I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. You see, there are a great deal of optimistic and outwardly, apparently possible, perfect people who politely say yes to God. There's a whole lot of people like that who say all the right things. They surround the door to heaven. They might even decorate it with nice sayings. They're amazed at, at Jesus and his teachings and the fact that he was a historical figure. They, they adore him and they marvel at all the goodness that comes out of the Christian church. They're willing to line up their family and take photos at the door to heaven, but never actually walk into it. That's, that's what the teachers were like. They enshrined specialness and positivity and flourish but they were nothing but spiritual yes-men. Never willing to do the hard work of looking into the heart and seeking to adapt it to the authority from heaven, the true authority, the one who told them what's really right and wrong, the one who died for what's right and wrong, and who gave the gifts of that death and special blessings to all who believe. These people never enter the kingdom of grace. They never really grapple with the spiritually difficult part, their own sins, and you can't outrun sin. As King David says, my sin is always before me. I tell you, I get so bothered sometimes with the optimism that we're surrounded with as if the human race and the fallen spirit is still good. As if it, it is what it needs to be without any real help. You know why? If we imagine that things are all right the way they are, or maybe with a little extra social justice or some kind of the right politics, things are going to get fixed and we just got to keep charging forward with our own human will or whatever it may be. With a little bit of optimism, we can get it for optimism's sake. But you know what happens? If we think that way, then we end up exasperated when people end up doing odd and self-defeating things. We end up starting in optimism, saying yes to everything, but just entirely crushed and depressed because of how horrific this world really is and how real things can get. I mean, without dealing with our sin and spiritual honesty and sincerity, things up, end up very depressing and sad. 
Before the sinful nature isolates and confuses people, it flatters them. Be on guard for the world and your sinful nature to flatter you. It was the original sin of Satan, as best as we can read the scriptures, that it was pride that went before the fall. And so the idea isn't just to talk nice and and talk optimistically all the time. It's to get at the real issues and the real enemy. And what are our real enemies? It's the spiritual forces and the dark powers and authorities of this world. I'm not talking about someone who, li- who sits on a physical throne. And that's why the, the traffic gets so tight and bottlenecked just outside of God's kingdom. People speak so sweetly about Jesus, but they never really need him because they don't want to hear about their sin. But I know that that's why you're here, because you know your need. I know that you've come because your conscience is crushed and that you desire a Savior. You know you need what Jesus has to offer. You were born in the spiritual No, You began there. But since then, you've had a change of heart, thanks to God and his messengers with their law and their gospel. Therefore, because you know your sin, you know you need Jesus. Starting negative ends up more blessed than you ever would have if you said, well, everything's all right and everything's okay and we're just going to put a face, put a good face on everything. The chief priests and the elders said yes to the Father. They served in his house without ever needing the Son. And because of that, Jesus called them basically a doorstop. Did you hear that? I'll read that one more time. Amen, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. It was like the people who were legalistic and moralistic about, about the gospel and, and rooted it out and wanted Jesus to just go away. The people who put the good face on it and wanted, wanted to decorate the door of God's kingdom, it's like in the picture, it's like they're just standing there with their foot op- holding the door open for all the people who need they know Jesus who know they need Jesus to go inside. And that's what Jesus convicts. Now take Jesus' meaning as he implies that you find others who need the same thing. Take courage when your witness is met with a no. Listen lovingly for a no in evangelism conversations. Some people, some good negotiators would say, you want to get someone to the point where they tell you no. Because then you can do the real hard work of having an honest conversation about God and figuring out what it is that's keeping their hearts from hearing God's law and gospel. I want to turn the conversations you've had about your Christian witness on their head. And I want you to think about the people who have said no to you. Because those might be your best opportunities. Maybe not. Maybe it's just hard-heartedness and stiff-neckedness and the time isn't right to cast the seed once again. Jesus also talks about casting pearls before swine. But just think about the people that you might have given up on because they didn't say yes. According to some, a yes might be the biggest disappointment. When Chris Voss was seeking out his hostage negotiator job with the FBI, they asked him, okay, what do you have? Do you have experience? Do you have credentials? Do you have a degree in psychology or sociology? And he said his answer to each of those questions was no. No, no, no. They said, well, then get out of here. 
and go volunteer at a suicide hotline. And he did what no one else did. He actually volunteered at a suicide hotline, developed some gifts and skills, and ended up getting that job with the FBI, being a hostage negotiator. So who said no to you lately? If you give up witnessing to them, you may be missing a chance because it may be the ones who say no to God right off the bat who need God the most and they're not exactly sure how to navigate the conversation. So we'll turn our prayers towards those individuals today and we'll deal with them honestly and give them what, just what they need because it's what you and I need too. His name is Jesus. In his name, amen. I invite you to stand.